Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. <clears throat> I, uh, my name's Jeep Underwood, in case you were wondering. And, uh, I'm getting over a cold. And so I was really glad this morning because I got most of my voice back. And you guys didn't hear the great whisperer. <laughs> but, uh, just, just so you know, if it starts cracking, I got a little bit of water here. We'll take care of it. Uh, if not, uh, I'll just come amongst you and whisper to you. But, uh, but I think, I think I'm gonna be okay. Uh, <clears throat> today we're, we're doing the second part of a, of a talk we started last week called More Than Okay. And <clears throat> the idea behind this series is that we all really want lives that are just, that are more than just okay. And last week we looked at a couple of AT&T commercials, uh, that really kind of capture, they kind of riff on this idea of okay and they're kind of funny. And so I wanted us to watch a couple more AT&T commercials this morning. Quite frankly, just because I enjoy it. But just know I am not endorsing AT&T in any way. Uh, they're just funny commercials. So let's let's take a look. Don't scared. <coughs> Tell me. I'm perfectly okay at this. Just okay? First time is always hard. Does it get any easier? I'll let you know. Nope, the second time is just as scary. Just okay is not okay. AT&T has America's best network, now with our best plans at our best prices, starting at $35 a line for four lines. New from AT&T. <laughs> this ride safe? Assembled it myself last night. I think I did an okay job. Just okay? What if something bad happens? We just moved in the next town. Just okay is not okay, especially when it comes to your network. AT&T is America's best wireless network according to America's biggest test. Now with 5G Evolution, the first step to 5G. More for your thing. That's our thing. So, you know, just okay is not okay. Um, you know, especially if uh, you're going to tandem jump with a skydiving instructor, that's his second time. You know, I... That's uh, not for me. And then carnival rides, I, I'm with them. I'd be getting off the scrambler too. You know, in fact, as I got old, I used to love carnivals, but as I got older, I began to not like them as much because the number one design feature when you go to Disneyland is safety. The number one design feature when you go to a carnival is mobility. <laughs> and I, I like safety to be higher on the list than that. <clears throat> so I'm kind of with them. You know, we we really don't... and. And bringing it back, uh, we really don't want our lives to be just okay. We really want lives that, that really do have a significance. And last, last week we looked at a principle <clears throat> that helps us get there, and that is the principle we looked at was small things consistently over time lead to big things. Small things consistently over time lead to big things. And today, this morning, I want to look <clears throat> just a little, a little deeper at that, like where that consistency comes from. We're going to take a little bit more time doing that. We're going to, I want to start off this morning just looking at an example from the Old Testament, a character in the Old Testament. Now, <clears throat> I love the Old Testament. It's just, it's full of stories about real people living real lives, making real choices, and having real outcomes. You can, you can learn so much by just spending time looking through the Old Testament, reading some of the stories of the people that have gone before us. In fact, that's what Paul said in Romans, uh, Romans 15.4. Excuse me. He says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, 
know, the Old Testament scriptures, they're there to instruct us. They're there to encourage us. They're there to give us hope. That's what they're, that's what they're there for. And so this morning, <clears throat> this morning I'm going to spend a little time with someone who had more than an okay life. Uh, it's one of the kings, uh, that in, in the, in the kingdom of Judah in the Old Testament. Now, in the old, in the, in the kingdom of Israel, it was split into two kingdoms. There's like a northern kingdom. It was named Israel, and there was a southern kingdom named Judah. And there were a lot of kings, a lot of kings that were kings over those two countries. And a lot of them just had okay lives. And some of them had lives that just weren't very okay at all. You know, they're just, they just had some really different kinds of outcomes. But the king I want to look at today is a king that had much more than an okay life. In fact, he had a life of real significance. He's, he's a life that really just made a difference. And his name is Hezekiah. Now, <clears throat> Hezekiah, his dad was nothing like him. His dad, like, led the country way away from God and uh, just left it really in shambles and left it in a terrible state when Hezekiah took over. Hezekiah was 25 years, when he took o- 25 years old when he took over. And, but on his watch in his life, there were, so, there were so many, like, big things that happened, big outcomes. And w- some of the things that happened while he was king, one of the things, things that he did, uh, I don't know what that was. Um, <clears throat> uh, some of the things he did is he, he, he really repaired, he repaired the temple and he reinstituted, he reinstituted temple worship, made it the center of the Jewish religion faith, with the way that God had commanded it. And he really, he really did that. And what he did also is he led the people back to God. He led the people back to their God. In fact, just as an example of that, one of the things he reinstituted was the seven-day feast for the Passover. It hadn't been celebrated for a long time. And as when they reinstituted it, the people that came together, they came from all parts of the country, and they enjoyed themselves so much there, and just, just in their obedience to God and just enjoying one another that after the seven days were over, they took a vote and they decided, let's do it for seven more days. And so they did it for seven more days. It was It was just... There was just this feeling of walking with God that was in the nation because of his life. And then uh, a made, probably the biggest thing in his life is he led his people through the greatest crisis that his country had ever faced. He led them, he led them through the greatest crisis the country's ever faced. In fact, it was a crisis that threatened their very existence. Uh, it was the Assyrian army. <clears throat> now, if you want to learn more about the Assyrians, you can go to the L.A. Uh, Museum of Art down in La Brea. They have a whole room dedicated to the Assyrian Empire. And you can see, you can see some of the kings of Assyria. You can see what their temple room looked like because it's there. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, in fact, there's some artifacts where, from Assyrian Empire where they talk about Hezekiah and some of the things I'm going to talk about this morning. Now, what they did is the Assyrians, in the fourth year of, of Hezekiah's reign, they came into the northern kingdom of Israel and they laid siege to it, and they conquered it completely in about three years. And what they did is they took all the people from there, and they took them somewhere else, and they brought other people and planted them in their place, and that kingdom completely went away. It completely ceased to exist. And that, and that happened about the sixth year of Hezekiah's reign. So this is happening in his world. <clears throat> and then there was a time they came against Judah. They came against him, and he led his people through that. In fact, he, he led them, you read through the account, you see how he relied on his God, and he, and he really led them through that. <clears throat> and then for me personally, right in the middle of that, like getting ready for that big siege that was coming from the Assyrians, he initiated one of the biggest civil engineering projects there ever was. This is near and dear to my heart. Um, 
he built what they call Hezekiah, Hezekiah's tunnel. It, it's a channel. A, uh, it's an underground tunnel that takes the water source from outside the walls of the city and brings it into the inside. Because he, he, he thought, why would we let the Assyrians come here and have a drink of water? And we need the water on the inside. So he, he commissioned this 1,800-foot tunnel many, many feet down the ground. They tunneled from two directions, and they met in the middle, and water actually flowed through it. That is an amazing – right now that's amazing with the technology we have. I can imagine back then. I just can't imagine how they did that. But that was another thing, big, big thing in his, uh, that he accomplished. So what was behind all this success? What was behind all this? What was the key for his life? I, th- I think it's really captured in Second Kings uh, chapter 18. This is where the writer, he's talking about Hezekiah, and he says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. It just says he trusted in the Lord, and he clung to him. He held on to him, and he followed him by obeying what he said. That, that, that is at the nucleus of, that explains like how his life turned out. That was, a, that, was, that was the big thrust of his life. That's what he did as he hung on to God. Now, clinging to something is just what you do when you trust in it. It's kind of like if you imagine yourself out in the ocean. Uh, you know, we saw a movie called Open Water once. I never want to see it again. It's too scary. But, like, the boat goes away, and you're out in the ocean, and you're treading water. You're kicking. You've got your arms going. You're just looking for someone to save you. And a boat shows up on the horizon, and they throw a life preserver out to you. And... What you do when that happens is you grab that life preserver. And they would call that clinging. You know, it's like you, you grab a hold of that life preserver and you, you do, there's several things that happen. You quit kicking your feet and you quit using your hands and you just hang on and you just trust in the buoyancy of that life preserver. That's what trust looks like. That's what trust looks like is when you take all of your efforts and you rest on the thing that you're trusting in and you cling on to it. And that's, uh, that's what Hezekiah was doing. He clung to God and he trusted in him. And that was the decision that was behind the life that he had and why his life was more than okay. And so this morning, you know, as we, as we hear that, a, a good question to ask ourselves is, what am I clinging to? What am I clinging to today? Um, and what am I trusting? You know, what, what do I believe has the answers for life? What what is it that I'm really hanging on to? It could be that it could be that you're holding on to something that's really holding you back. It could be that you're holding on to something that's really keeping you from where you really need to be to really uh, to really change and to walk with God. And you know, whatever you hang on to, whatever you're hanging on to, what you're doing is you're investing in it, you're believing in it, you're trusting in it, you're hoping in it, and what that means is it has a hold on you. It has a hold on you, the things you cling to. And that's really the way it was with Hezekiah. With Hezekiah, he hung on to God, he invested in him, he believed in him, and he trusted in him, and he hoped in him. And then it says it, it changed the way he, he approached his life. He began to follow God by obeying what God had to say. What God said began to begin to something he really paid attention to because he was clinging on to them. He, he, he began to believe that, 
God had the answers for the questions he had. And he began to follow and do what God had to say. And you can really see the, so what we, what we talked about before, that was really kind of the impact. It's the impact of someone who just fully invested in God and really clung to him. So we can, the, the writer of Second Chronicles kind of paints a picture, kind of a summation of this one, of this big period in his life. Uh, and he says this in Second uh, Chronicles 31, uh, 20 through 21. It says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good, right and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. You know, uh, the, the word prosper, what that, what that means is to make progress. It means to make progress. So what he, what the writer is saying is that Hezekiah was growing and changing and making progress. He was growing in competence. He was growing in the ways he could handle the life, the things that were coming at him. And, um, he was just making progress in life. And that was the result. That's kind of like he, as he summed things up. Now, one thing to keep in mind as I, as I move forward is when the Bible was written, there weren't chapters and verses. There was just someone who was writing things down. And so the, the, the person that wrote what we just read, the very next thing that he wrote was this. In Second Chronicles 32, it says, After these acts of faithfulness, talking about what Hezekiah had done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. It was right there that the, the big crisis happened. It was there where the big crisis happened. Now, when I first read that, when I first read that, um, I was, uh, I, w- I actually kind of struggled with that. I went, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> you're doing everything right. You're, you're really trying to walk with God. And then there's a, there's a, uh, invader that comes in and tries to wipe you out of existence. I, mean, I just thought, what, why is that? Why did that happen? And then, then I got older, because I've actually been around for a little while. But uh, I began to get older, and I began to understand something, and that is that trouble comes to your life. There it is. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for more, it's like trouble is coming. That's just trouble is in life. Life has trouble in it. And if, um, if Hezekiah had, had lived his life a different way, that trouble was still going to come. Because that that uh, that king was he had conquered a lot of nations coming down to where Judah was, and that's just where he was at, and that's what that's where that's what Hezekiah had to deal with. Now, because Hezekiah had really held on to God and really clung to Him, and he had really obeyed His principles, what happened is he had really grown. Like I said, he really prospered. He'd really he'd really begin to really understand how God really worked in the world. And how he could really trust him. And he wasn't the 25-year-old who took over. He was the 39-year-old who had some experience with God and walking with God in the real world. And he was what, and so as I began to realize that when this happened, God had been preparing Hezekiah so that he was the man of the hour. He was the man that was the need of the crisis of the moment. He was the man that could lead them through that crisis. And so it wasn't some kind of a punishment of some kind. It was actually God had been preparing him for that very moment when the crisis happened. And 
he really was the man that was needed for the current crisis. And I would really encourage you to read the rest of this story. Uh, 2 Kings uh, 18 through 19. And just read how what Hezekiah did, how he relied on God and how he led his people, how he brought them to that crisis. I, I think you'll learn a whole lot. I, I really I just love the life of Hezekiah. I really encourage you to do that. But for this morning, let's remember, let's remember this, kind of the things that we've been talking about so far is that when, maybe a way to sum up a little, when trouble comes, who you are really matters. When trouble comes, who you are really matters. And what you obey determines who you become. What you obey determines who you become. And then one more, and that is, you obey what you're trusting and clinging to. You obey what you're trusting and clinging to. And so if you want to change, if you want to be able to be ready for what is coming at you in life, then you need to have a a habit of clinging to God and really trusting in Him, following Him, obeying Him, and becoming the person that you need to be for what's coming to you. Now, um, like I said before, I think it would be a good thing for, you know, each one of us just think to, what's something I'm clinging to? What's something I'm clinging to? Because... It matters so much what you're clinging to. And one good way of finding that out, thinking it through, is, is think about what you're obeying. What, what in my life am I obeying? And that can point you really a lot to like what you're clinging to, what you're really putting your trust in. Like it might be, it might be yourself. It might be, um, you might be kind of clinging to you and what you can do and trusting in you. And so you kind of do whatever you say. And you're obeying yourself. That may be, it might be maybe your friends. It might be your, it might be that you're kind of clinging on to your friends and what they think. So you're kind of deciding how you do things based on what they think you ought to do. It could be just our culture. It could be our cultural's, culture's idea of success. It could be that's what you're clinging to. And so you're obeying whatever it takes to be successful like they say is successful. It could be anything. So just, that's something to think through this morning is what, what are you clinging to? What am I clinging to that's getting in the way? And so I'd like to, I'd like to spend, uh, kind of take a shift a little bit and spend the rest of the time in the talk today is, is just talking about what, what does it look like when you cling to God and His grace and obey Him? And how does, what does change look like over time? How does, how do you actually do that? And, excuse me, let me get a quick drink. To do that, I'd like to use an illustration that I, I got from uh, a book that I read from uh, Jim Peterson. It's a great book. It's called uh, Lifestyle Discipleship, and I, I really recommend it. It's a great book to read. And then he has an illustration that has really, really helped me kind of just disentangle this in my mind, and I just wanted to share, share this with you guys this morning. And that is, he, he talks about his seven elements of change. Like, if you really want to change, these are like the seven elements, kind of like the way change happens. And the first element is just experience. So there should be a, okay, good. There's a big circle with the word experience in it. You know, all of us, we we just live our lives, our lives are full of experiences. We're taking experiences. We're, uh, that's just what our life consists of, is we're making decisions, we're making choices, we're having outcomes, we're just kind of living our lives. And to change, we really, I mean, we have to have, be having experiences to really change. It's kind of like when I got out of college, uh, 
as a civil engineer, you know, I had a degree in civil engineering from Fresno State, but I had no idea what an engineer did. You know, I, I learned I learned a lot of academics, but it wasn't until I actually got in uh, to the job and began having some experiences that I began to really grow and understand like uh, how to really uh, how to really be an engineer. So as you're having experiences, you know, they tend to bring things to light. Like as an engineer, things began to show up like, hey, I need to learn that. I need to learn that. There's just there's things that kind of show up, things you need to learn. Sometimes in your experiences, maybe it kind of shows the wrong thing you're clinging to. It might, it might show some wrong things that you're clinging to. It could be, it might show, it might be you go through some experiences and there's some things that confuse you. Like these are just kind of confusing. I don't really know what to do here because it's just confusing what's going on with me right now. And some of the times our experiences also, they show us just uh, maybe a wrong attitude we're having, like towards something that we're, that we're, that we're living towards. Um, and so we, as we have those, we need some way to evaluate those experiences and try to figure them out. Now, you know, you have big, all of us have big time experiences. I'll tell you, I just want to share an experience that I had once. Uh, I have had many of them, but here's an experience. You know, when you, when you have a family and your kids are three years old and six years old and seven years old and you decide to take a trip across the country, you're going to have some experiences. And, uh, I actually probably could speak for about an hour and a half of some experiences along that line, but there's this, this one time, we needed to go to Texas, and the kids were like three, six, and seven. We, we wanted to go to a wedding that was out in Texas. And so I was going to grad school at the time uh, at the ripe young age of 38. And I was in grad school, and we're, get, we're getting ready to go on this trip, and I figured out I had six days between classes. I had to get back. I had some homework that was due. And so, you know, being the, uh, you know, the logical person I am, I went, well, that's two days there then spend two days there, then two days back. So this will be good. And so we jumped in, and, man, I I drove our family uh, in more ways and figuratively and uh, <laughs> literally. I drove our family to Texas in two days. We spent one night. We showed up, and it was like we showed up just before we had to be. It was like 10 minutes. I'm like, yes, success. And and I'm just, like, glowing with success, and everyone else is like, oh, gosh, we're here. And uh then we enjoyed our time at the at the wedding, spent a couple of days there, and then we had to come back. And I remember telling Kate, well, we got two days, we got to get back. And I remember uh, she was not as enthusiastic as I was, and she was, uh, and she was, uh, you know, she kind of quiet about it. I'm like, well, let's go. And, man, we were heading back, and I thought, we're going to get the Flagstaff. We get the Flagstaff, spend the night, we drive back in, I can get my homework done that night, and then, uh, hey, we'll, uh, it'll be working good. Well, then we got to Albuquerque. Albuquerque will always be a pivotal city in my life. Um, <laughs> you know, Albuquerque, yeah, I mean, every time, now when I plan family trips, the first thing I think is Albuquerque. Um, Albuquerque is where uh, the wheels fell off our cart. <laughs> and I don't mean our car, I mean our cart. It's like the whole scheme that I have. Our kids, I mean, it's just our family just kind of dissolved. And everyone, there's just so much problems. I can't even describe it. It was just kind of a, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And everyone's frustrated with each other. And, the, and you know, Kate feels so much. She feels so much about the kids. In fact, I was oblivious to things, and she was feeling them, and I didn't know it. And the kids just kind of dissolved. They just couldn't handle it anymore. And they're just little kids. They weren't doing anything wrong. They just were beyond their capacity. You spend 12 hours in a car. And... uh we pull into Albuquerque, 
And it all falls apart. And I thought, okay, we're spending the night here. And I just, all right, everybody spend the night. We just spend some time. And I just kind of recuperated. Next morning, I didn't wake anybody up. We just let, we just stayed up till noon when they kicked us out of the hotel. And then, and then I just drove four hours to Flagstaff. And I got out again. I said, guys, we're not going to go very far. We're just going to go to Flagstaff. And so then we, and so there's pools and hotels. So that's like, you know, nature's wonderland for kids. And so they're just enjoying themselves and they're, they're having a good time. And, and so that night in Flagstaff, I, put the curtain around my head as everyone slept and put a lamp in there and did my homework. Um, but you know what? That that was a huge experience for me, and it, I was confused about a lot of things, and I had to spend a lot of time thinking and evaluating what was going on there. What was my attitude in this? What, what, uh, what was really going on with them? What was beyond their capacity? There's so much I learned on that trip just because of that experience. But to learn that, you would have to evaluate your experience. And really to evaluate your experience, it comes to the second, it comes to the second element of change, and that's the scriptures. You have to come, you have to take your experiences to the scriptures so you can try to make sense of really what's going on because you can't really make sense when you're just lost in your experience. Now God designed reality and He's the one to cling to and to listen to what He says because He really knows what He's doing. He really understands how life works. And if if we're going to evaluate our experiences, we have to turn to the scriptures. We have to take those and connect those to our experiences. And then, you know, it, it, it really helps. You know, it, it's really helpful if you have people around you that can help you and speak into your life or you're in a group, one of the groups that John was talking about, one of our groups we have here. There's people that care about you and they can speak some helpful things in your life. Uh, also, just listening to talks, you can learn a lot from them. But if you're really going to cling to God, if you're really going to cling to God and make progress in life, you have to go deeper than that. You have to go deeper than that. And you have to personally, you have to personally interject God into your daily experiences. You have to personally interject God into your daily experiences. And really, the only real way to do that, the only real way to do that is just to set aside daily time just to read the Bible and then pray. As you're reading, pray that God would give you understanding. And Sometimes in the most, in the most unexpected places, you, you find something that really addresses your situation. You find something that really addresses your situation. When you do, you stop and you reflect on it and you begin to just kind of evaluate what that has to do with the thing you're facing. And what happens is clarity begins to replace confusion. Clarity begins to replace confusion and you begin to have an idea and a real picture of what it is you need to do. And that's crucial. That's a crucial part of being able to change is that daily connection with the scriptures. And then that brings to the next element of change, and that's struggle. Is once, once you come to the point where you, you really understand, um, like what it is you should do, then you begin to, you begin to kind of, you begin to have a struggle like, well, that's what I know I should do, but here's what I want to do, or here's what I always do. And you, have, you come into a struggle like, why? Well, how can I get there? And you really have three options. When, when you begin in that struggle, you have three options. One option is you, you just ignore. You ignore what you've heard, and you just keep going on the way you are. And you just keep doing the things you've been doing. That, that's, that's one option you can take. Another option is you can do what Jim Peterson calls turn left, which he calls just, is basically just trying to do it all on your own. 
just trying to, you know, this is true, I believe it's true, and I'm just going to try to gut it out and change. And we talked a little bit about that last week. And then the other response you can have is, is take a right turn uh, towards humility. Take a right turn. And then humility is the next element of change, is we come to the place where we realize we have to admit that we just can't do it on our own. It's humility. Um, it is humility that really drives drives the bus to really connect to what it is that God really wants to do in our lives. In fact, in Isaiah 66, 2, uh, God's talking, and he says, For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. See, humility gets God's attention. Humility gets God's attention, and humility takes what God says very seriously, because they know, because you know that He really does know what reality is really like. And humility is really just an admission to God that I'm I'm weak in this area, and I just, I'm dependent on you, and I just need help. And you you ask Him for His help to do the very thing that He wants you to do, and. Uh, like I said, humility really gets God's attention. In fact, Hezekiah's son, Hezekiah had a son that was, uh, he did not, he fell very far from the tree. His name was Manasseh. And he did unspeakable things. He, he, he took the country so far off tracks. He was, he was king for like 50 years. He became king when he was 12. And he just, he, he did all, I'm not going to go through the things he did, but you can read about him. But he, he did some unspeakable things. He took the country way off track. So much that God gave him a warning. He didn't listen. And so he brought the king of Assyria in. And king of Assyria grabbed Manasseh and took him in captivity. And it says they put a hook in his nose. Now, it doesn't sound very pleasant to me. But put a hook in his nose and they took him away to captivity. And then something happened that nobody expected. Something happened that nobody saw coming. And that is captured in Second Chronicles 33. When he's in captivity, it says, in talking about Manasseh, it says, In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Even a guy like that. Humility gets God's attention. And humility moves the heart of God and he acts on your behalf. Humility is absolutely necessary and then what it does is it moves us to the next element of change and that's the holy spirit really it's when we come to that place where we're we're humble and we admit our weaknesses and we ask god for help then the holy spirit responds to our humility by empowering us to be and do really what we could never achieve without him to really be and do really what we really uh, we really desire to do what god really wants us to do to really make a difference he gives us the power to do that. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 2.13 this. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God, when, that's why, you know, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's what really makes following Jesus and the way of Christ so completely different from any religious system. Every religious system, and system, they'll tell you this is what you ought to do, this is the way you ought to live, but there's absolutely no power to change. 
All you have is the left turn option where you try to get it out and try to do it. Um, in fact, you know, I, I think of Buddhism where um, you have to deny all desire. And I've always wondered, can you desire to be a good Buddhist? I don't think you can. I don't, so I just really, I don't know how you get to being a good Buddhist. Um, but any religious system doesn't give you the, 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 doesn't give you the power to change. But what, what the Holy Spirit does and what God does, he doesn't just give you good advice on life. He actually empowers you to live that life that, he, that he's asked you to live. And that empowerment is really leads to the next element of change, and that's self-control. So self-control, this is, this is not the kind of self-control. The emphasis isn't on self in this. It isn't like you just made it happen. It's really, it's a, it's really a fruit of the Spirit. It's being able to control yourself and to actually do the things that God has, has, has laid it out as really the way to live. In fact, you know, this is where because of the Holy Spirit, the choice to obey God is really met by the ability to really do what God says and to really follow through with your real actions. That's where the power comes from. And that, that goes back to what we saw last week when we looked at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians when he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's like, a, it's a paradox. It's, we're not strong because we're strong. We're strong because we're weak. And we come to God and God really empowers us. That's where our strength comes from to really walk with him. And that's why it's so crucial that this is just a daily part of our lives. It's, it's, it's something that we are desperately in need of all the time for God to really work in and through us. And so as you do that, you know, maybe you see some pro, you could see some progress in some areas. Maybe you have a, a real pattern of anger. And then as you begin to, the Holy Spirit begins to work in you, maybe you begin to be more patient. You know, maybe you have a real pattern of impatience. And as God works in your life, you begin to have much more of a pattern of understanding other people and really where they're coming from. And then maybe, maybe you really deal with uh, just anxiety. And with, through, the, through God's power, just helping you just to be more confident, confident in Him, and what him and what he's doing in your life and what he's doing in the world where you can feel safe because he's in charge and because you are really connected to him and you're clinging on to him. And so what happens next is the circle gets completed. So this is, this, it's the right turn, humility, the Holy Spirit, self-control, and you actually begin to make progress in that area. You have a, you have, you win a battle, you win a, you win a victory. And what you, to really change over time is you need to have lots of circles. Hmm? In your life. So to really make progress in life, you just, you're having lots of circles in your life. And what happens over time is these become, your old habits begin to be replaced by new habits. And who you are and the way you are begins to really change and become a lot more like what God wants. And really to have a life that's really a lot more than okay. So, you know, if we, if we cling if we cling to something other than God and obey that, then we're just lost in the sea of experiences. We can't navigate. But if we'll cling to God and, and really obey Him, what happens is it, we really begin uh, to really see our lives change and we make progress as we do what we've been talking about this morning. And our lives really are more than okay. And that brings us to the last element of change. Uh, it's really important, and that is simply community. You need to be around a lot of other people that are also doing circles. You need to be around a lot of other people that are also struggling and, and trying to take their experiences to God so they can really understand how life works. And you do that with other people, and there's a camaraderie that comes with that. That's why 
the New Testament has so many one another's in it, is this is to be done with one another. We all need help. We all need encouragement. And we all have things we're struggling with. And we need to be connected to each other so that we can really pull together and become the people that God really wants us to be and change. That's why in Hebrews 3.13, the writer of Hebrews says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called the day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What this really implies is a daily accepting environment where the experience you're really dealing with can be an open topic of conversation. You know, it's just, it's a, it's an open, uh, just accepting environment on a daily basis where you can really just share what you're experiencing with other people and you can kind of, you can get help, you can, uh, get some encouragement, you can, uh, really open up to one another and that's how, that's how we can really make progress is really do this in the community of people. You need people around you that are going to be there when things get hard and people around you uh, that really support you when you are weak and you're really struggling with something you need to take care of. Or or you do something well and someone around to cheer you and actually notice that you're making progress. And and maybe you know, just someone to pray for you and to know what you're struggling with so you can really know each other and pray for each other. Because the, the struggle is really real and community is really instrumental in helping us just continue to cling to him. And stay connected to him. So this morning, I'd like to, I'd like to end with just some next steps. As we, as you're, as we're listening to this today, um, you know, maybe for some of us just to spend some time thinking, what am I holding on to? What am I holding on to that's holding me back? That's keeping me from, cause you, you can really only cling to one thing at a time. You know, clinging is kind of a strong word. And so what, what am I clinging on to? What is it I think is really going, Really going to make it for me. And then, you know, maybe, maybe for, for someone this morning, it's maybe just committing to just a daily time and God's word listening to Him. And just, uh, seeking clarity in your world of experience. Taking your experience to God every morning and just asking Him for help and helping to understand what's going on with you. And for some of us, maybe it's just, uh, deciding that we're gonna trust Him and cling to Him and turn right and and really, with humility, just ask God for help with the thing that he showed us we need to work on. And for some of us, maybe we've known something we need to work on, and we've kind of just kept going on and on, and we haven't dealt with it. Maybe maybe this is some this is the time really to deal with that and really put that in, begin to really work with God in, in humility, asking for his help. And then for some, maybe just connecting to community is just deciding, you know what, I'm going to, I want to connect to other people that are also trying to walk with God so that I can have the encouragement and I can give encouragement and be a part of people that are really wanting to walk with God. So with that, um, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. And I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us before we go back to the service. If, if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, you can go ahead and fill that out and drop it in the bucket when it goes by. And uh, let me pray. Dear God, Father, I uh, personally am very grateful to you. Um, Father, without your involvement in my life, I would be nowhere. And God, I pray, I just pray for each one of us today that we would take up from where we're at, humbly cling to you and ask you for your help and then walk with you in the way you share with us. And I pray you'd change our lives and change uh, the the people around us and that we could really make an impact for you with our lives and have lives that are way more than okay. In Jesus' name, amen.